Hey podcast, it's James back here again. Hope you're all good. Thank you so much for listening to the Toucan Echo podcast. We've got another one-man rant again. Um, in the last episode where I talked about minimalism and guitar collections, I mentioned that I wanted to do two further episodes because these podcasts are a bit like Russian dolls and they spawn further episodes from their original incarnations. Um, and I had the idea to... Um, I had the idea to do two more podcasts, so one on my musical tone journey, my guitar tone rather, um, my musical tone, en- encompassing both guitar and singing, that'd be fun. Um, but yeah, I, I had one one on my guitar tone and one on um, kind of minimalism in music in general and what's um, inspired us. Now, I had a go at doing this yesterday, but started too late in the evening Um, and felt like I was keeping my neighbours up by just chatting away at one o'clock. Maybe I was being a bit paranoid, but, you know, when it's late at night, everything's quiet. You feel like your voice is cutting through the silence. So I waited until I was nice and fresh the next day. Here we are. Um, So I'm going to regurgitate some stuff I've said today. So you may even get, you know, a few few less ums and ahs this time. You may get proper diction and articulation this one, if you're lucky. Um... So minimalism in music, like, the reason I wanted to talk about it is I talked about minimalism and how you apply it to your life more generally in the last podcast, but um, I also wanted to talk about how we put it into our music with Tukaneko, um, but I think it's worth bringing in, inspir- like, our influences and inspirations as well into that. So, um, yeah, I kind of want to talk about, like, minimalism music, why it's effective, um, who uses it that's inspired us and how we, um, how we use it basically. Um, so minimalism in art and music is actually a specific thing. So, um, I'm talking quite generally, uh, that, you know, focus on the essential and taking stuff out, lessening rather than maximalism, increasing, piling stuff on, be that arrangements, uh, lyrics, whatever, whatever aspect of music it is. Um, but minimalist music and art is actually a movement in itself, which is founded on similar principles, but if you search minimalist music, you're not going to find the White Stripes, you're going to find, um, I think Terry Riley and some other people uh, who were famous, I kind of think it emerged in the 60s. There's a particularly famous Terry Riley piece that's called In C, where he effectively stays on one chord, C, you guessed it, and it's just ding, 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 kind of like a loop. It's almost annoying, a bit like an advert getting stuck in your head, <laughs> like a jingle, um, rather than music with lots of changes. It's sort of something interesting to listen to. It um, freshens your palate or catches your ear in a sort of being quite unique because it's of its lack of changes and movement, because when you then go back to a normal song, there's quite a lot of excitement by comparison. But... So I wanted to kind of cover that that exists and it's an interesting sort of art experiment, but has there been lots of super successful minimalist composers? I don't know in terms of them being super popular. I suppose maybe it's a precursor to ambient music where there's a lot less chord changes and instrumentation. There's some examples in the 60s taking influence off of Indian music and eastern sort of music in general but and the reason that this might be construed as minimalist is it's often based around one chord and 
Um, I mean, you may have gathered from the podcast already that most of my favourite music was from the 60s, 70s, a bit from the 80s, older music. And I think there's a bit of minimalism inherent to older music because of the recording technology, because of the older the situation they were in, they didn't have the option to pile on as many tracks, uh, ha- play live to backing tracks in quite the same way that we could now. Um, so, and also we've seen reactions when things kind of go overboard, like uh, the reaction of punk in the late 70s um, and similar revivals when it feels music's got a bit verbose and up itself. <laughs> Not that, you know, um, <laughs> not that that music's necessarily bad, but uh, there's there's often a, a, a kind of blowback where people go back to three chords and shouting, back to the basics. <laughs> um, so yeah, my favourite bands are like the Beatles and uh, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, the Rolling Stones, um, Queen, I mean, not sure I'd call Queen a minimalist band, but... Uh, you forget that when they played live, they still played as a four-piece. They had very elaborate studio recordings, but they still played. They still could bring it as a four-piece band live. So that's kind of minimalist, you know. That's that's not having you know Freddie Mercury didn't have the studio vocals playing during the chorus and just jump around, which seems to be much more commonplace now. You know, you've got the studio track playing behind you as almost a safety blanket, and you're just locked into it, and it's kind of. It's, it's closer to DJing, but can't argue that the people love it. The crowd's going crazy, so who am I to judge? My other, one of my other favourite bands is The Police. I, my friends know I got deeply, deeply into The Police when I was about 18 or 19. Um, I don't think I listened to anything else for a year. I was very obsessed. But that uh, that changed because my music taste when I was younger, when I was a teenager, was more like Green Day, pop punk, Vans Warped Tour kind of bands, loud, (laughs) brash, punchy. Then I don't know what sparked the transition, but I got really into the police. The combination of sparse music, but with really catchy melodies, hit songs, just completely captured me and I listened to basically nothing else for a year and um, it changed how I approached music completely. I turned the distortion off on my guitar and started playing clean and started trying to condense my lyrics into kind of one-liners, short stories like Sting can. Like, if you actually analyse the Police songs, you'll see that he's told a whole story. He's he, You are straight into the song with that first line, like, um, a bit like Message in a Bottle. Just a castaway, but I am lost at sea, oh. You know what's going on. Um, and you can apply that to so many of the songs don't sound so close to me and... Not every one of them, but a lot of them. So, the police are an excellent example of minimalism in music. Um, and obviously there's no hard and fast rules here. It's a general set of principles that can be applied as strictly or as generally as works for you. Because, you know, the police weren't minimalist in the number of notes they played in the song, you know. But they had three people instead of what could have easily been four or five. They played quite a lot, each musician, you know. Sting played bass and sang at the same time. Andy Summers' guitar and Stuart Copeland's drums were musically complex, but it all locked together, and that's what made it fascinating. There's the soundscape, the actual thing, different instruments 
the frequency spectrum that you can hear is not very cluttered. You can hear every instrument incredibly clearly, but that means that what they have to play has to be really good because there's no hiding, there's no blanket of sound in the way. Um, so I just recommend everyone who's semi into music just to go listen to some police and just absorb yourself in it because it's, it's groovy, it's got interesting chords, great lyrics and melodies, just, oh, I mean, there's a reason they were a massive band because got that kind of level of music got really appreciated at the time. Um, so they're a, a big influence on me. Um, whether they've been as a direct influence on Tukaneko, and as much as someone like Paul Simon or Vampire Weekend or whatever, I don't know. I think their their legacy and my musical influence is just is just everlasting now. Um, they've I, I just switched paths at that point. <laughs> I just jumped across the uh, you know like them changing a um, what what do they call it when you change like a train track to go the other way? The signal change something you like pull and the tracks like move across the point down the other the other bend um that that was what the police were like for me they don't need to they don't need to linger around they've just they just threw me in another direction um i don't know if i would call like paul simon a minimalist artist but i'd say he's very tasteful um if you call it the same thing it's uh always it's always quite intricate but tasteful so you know when we're thinking about music, minimalist music like could, are you talking about it's three chords and as few things as possible. With some bands you are, which I'm going to come onto the White Stripes in a sec, which have been my a, a key like band I've been into recently. Um, the Rolling Stones, like slightly less complicated sort of chord structures, it's more rooted in the blues. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's some examples where they layer more more instruments, but, you know... Would I call the Rolling Stones a minimalist band? Like personally, I would because they strike this balance between like power but clarity, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm not being strict on like only a band with less than three people can like be a minimalist band. I'm just sort of talking in generally of music that appeals to me and and, and kind of why what what the benefits of it are. Um, and I think the police point is to say that. The benefits are you have to make better parts because it, it, there's no sort of simulated or implied like power just from having loads of instruments that it doesn't sound big. It doesn't sound big with bad parts. It, it just doesn't sound big. So you have to make up for that with good parts. Otherwise, like people are just going to feel it sort of weak, like a demo or something, you know, hopefully that makes sense. Um, then another band I've been stooping into, which I've talked about on the podcast before, The White Stripes. Um, I came into them 10 years too late, which for me is quite good. I'm quite quick on the scene compared to the other bands I like. But I don't know what it is about The White Stripes that makes them so engaging and fascinating. It's the whole like package of stuff, the, the way they pull off like opaque or translucent kind of uh, with the truth about the band and the mystery of the brother and sister thing because um, oh, people uh, for people who don't know they used to say Jack White used to say on stage oh, I'm Jack White and here's my big sister Meg on the drums 
when they were actually a divorced couple, uh, and they did that to stop, uh, to detract attention from the fact they were a couple and focus it more on the on the music. And they just kind of liked being a bit weird and outraging people, you know. Um, the fact they've got these, you know, it's it's like there's rules to be in the White Stripes, you know. It's more like a a boot camp or a cadet force than a another. Ba- there's a lot of rules and limitations that came with it. The uh, you know, you've got to wear a uniform and. <laughs> We're only going to have this number of um, instruments and we're going to record in this old school way. Like, this is the way we do things. And, you know, maybe a band should sort of be like that, like actually stand for something. Um, you you can clearly pick them out, you know. Um, but then they picked kind of the number three, like flows through a lot of what they do in terms of guitar, drums, vocals. As like three instruments, like red, white, and black, the white stripes. Um, they've got various things that Jack White's obsessed with the number three. Um, and once you know that, you can see it in all his flowing through everything he does. And he's so good at like that and branding, like particularly colors. Like he picks a color for his particular venture that he's doing at the moment, and essentially is like usually black and that color, and that color like really pops out at you. Um, so he's just really ahead of his time on that sort of thing. But I don't know why I got into the White Stripes. I just sort of discovered them slowly. Maybe in like a documentary or so. I sometimes find bands through documentaries. Um, I do remember watching them as I grew up. Because obviously they were on TV on for like festivals and things. And just thinking that they were rubbish. <laughs> like they were trash. Uh, out of time, out of tune. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get why they were on big festival stages didn't understand um i i was talking to harry about about this the other day the way you get into music and to me it always seems that a band appears in my life a long time before i get to like them they sort of poke their head up for like future me in five years time to be obsessed by them i'm currently getting into the grateful dead and i'd heard of the grateful dead and got a first awareness of their music like five years ago but i was quite surprised sort of how country and folky it sounded i thought it would be like hard rock but it's not really hard rock so when i first heard about them when John Mayer went and played with Dead and Company, the kind of remaining members of the Grateful Dead, plus John Mayer. Um, I was first made aware of them, but I didn't really get into the music until very recently, having heard it on and off in the in the mean years. I don't know how why that works. Maybe it's in the subconscious and I just gradually become more familiar until I accept it into my life. But So the White Stripes have been around... But I hadn't thought much of them. Obviously, I'd heard Seven Nation Army lots of times. And at some point, I wish I kind of remembered how, when, where. I don't remember. But I just got really into the White Stripes. Really deeply into the White Stripes. I find their live shows captivating, intriguing. It's I think captivating is the right word. Just... You know, it's not in time, it's not in tune, but it's, they look like they're going to give that show or die. Like, everything, every ounce of their soul is coming out. The hit, the intent, uh, connection between Jack and Meg on stage is just intense. The kind of way they, like, look at each other, the way they, like, throw themselves at the music. Um, the way you know that they don't have a set list, so, like, this is happening right now. Like, this could all go wrong. It's like live wire, it's like happening. Um, 
so that intrigued me. Um, the fact they're into old-fashioned methods of recording and keeping imperfections in the music, a bit like Neil Young kind of thing, um, also uh, really intrigued me. So they're just great. Um, once you get into it, they're one of those bands. There's not really anything quite the same. There's a lot of garage bands, but there's no one that quite nails it like them, or at least from what I've heard. I can't say I've dug into the garage band scene that deeply, but... Um, they're just fantastic and they are uh, like Jack White is very much into limitations and minimalism like he, he you know they, they were happy not having a bass player for instance I think that's the biggest influence they've had on what we're doing is that they kind of showed that it's acceptable not to have a bass player people say that oh it's rubbish and you need to have it for you need to have it for all these reasons and it's not a prop band otherwise but the White Stripes has just gone and done it anyway you know um so it made us okay with being a two-piece um, and okay with working with this limitation of a lack of a bass player live at least, just that we still put bass on our recordings. Um, and so, yeah, and also, yeah, the no set list kind of off-the-cuffness, which I'm also getting a bit from the Grateful Dead, just embracing spontaneity and stuff uh, is another big influence, not necessarily a minimalist influence, but another big influence on how we want to do Tucan Echo. So, um, I just love the White Stripes, but I, I've talked about them on the podcast before, so I'm not going to go into them too much, but um, I would just look up, like, Jack White talking about limitations, because he has such a different worldview to other, many other musicians, particularly now when we've got so much technology, so much option, options to layer infinite tracks and to play live, to back in tracks and to handcraft all our sounds and set lists beforehand, so everything's just pristinely perfect when you get out and perform. Um you know, it just made me think you've got to judge good or bad music on some criteria. And I think a lot of people judge it on that, on technical ability or on polishedness, for want of a better word. But the music like Neil Young and the White Stripes have this other, they're going at it from this other angle where it's humanity and limitation, the, the fact that you've stopped yourself, I don't know, using an extra instrument or you have to play it on the spot so see what happens like really engaging a quite emotional artistic part of you rather than a, a sort of supernatural perfection that you've crafted um it's it's a human musician playing in front of you not knowing what exactly they're going to play tonight you know rather than just wheeling out the same set um and again i'm kind of going off the topic of minimalism but that's just a really big thing that made it go well we because we always naturally jammed as a band. We always, we, we would never play a song exactly the same unless we were doing that for a particular reason, unless we were rehearsing it or or something. Um, we did in bigger bands, but when it's just me and Harry, we've always just gone off piste. So to go, well, why can't our band be like that? That's what we do anyway. Like, let's not put any fake things to live up to. Let's just be like what we already are. Um, minimal sort of packaging. It's just is us. Um, so... Yeah, and I think minim minimalism and limitations can lead to more of an artistic output because you spend, it puts your mind in problem-solving mode, you know, particularly artistically. All you've got is this one sound, this one guitar, this one chord even. Like, what are you going to make over it? You may like the result or not like the result, but you are going to get something different than 
a different set of limitations or no limitations at all that you put yourself on. You might actually just not even make a song at all if you have no limitations because you spend all day scrolling through keyboard sounds. So that's one thing. So minimalism, I think, can generate more music in the first place. I think it can generate better parts for that music and more clarity in the actual recording. Um, and it can be more of an experience for the audience because it's actually kind of happening in front of them. Um, so finally, how do we use minimalism in Tukin Echo music? Well, there's a couple of obvious points that I won't recover too heavily because it's kind of half covered them already, but we're a two-piece band. Like, we don't have a bass player, so we have to fill that gap, and we have to do slightly wacky things to fill that gap. Like, I use octave pedals and play the guitar in a certain way to try and fill in the low end more than I used to as a lead guitar player in other bands where... I'd be more focused on the soloing. Now I'm fo now I'm always thinking, how am I going to fill out the low end? When am I going to do effectively bass lines versus lead lines? Um, when am I bringing it out and in for impact? Um, and that's making that kind of intention behind it is making the music music better. Um, minimalism in terms of, I mean, the best example I have is when we recorded our song called Weightless. That was one of the first times I can remember intentionally putting as few tracks as possible on. I don't really know why, because we were just making a studio album with no plan of playing it live at that point. So I don't know what <laughs> drove us to make make that decision, but I was like, I'm just going to have one guitar part in the middle. Um, I think maybe I double tracked some stuff at the end. I'm not sure if I did or not, but for the at least the majority of the song, it's just one guitar take in the middle with some delays to make it sound a bit wider so like to make it more stereo sounding um we even left out the bass for a lot for a, the intro so that suddenly just adding the bass adds a new layer to the song that like you could have almost used played your hand too early you know that's another thing that minimalism gets you is like if you really take yourself down to some core components you have to use them with more impact whereas if you're like a five-piece band with two guitars and a bass player and whatever and you all come in at the same time like where do you go from there you can go kind of back down I guess and back up but you've kind of given away your you kind of given away your your sort of climax of the song you've given away your peak um too early whereas if you kind of play it a bit more wisely a bit more sort of intelligently with the elements that you have you can generate quite a satisfying um experience uh, don't think a two-piece band is necessarily all the time about trying to overcompensate for your sound. It's about being more clever than someone in a four-piece band or a, whatever, even a three-piece band has the luxury to be. You have to be more clever than yeah, the luxury of being in another band where it just sounds naturally bigger. So that was our song, Weightless. We used the kind of bass coming in and out and um, some distortion at the end and, and whatever to really... Uh, pull out the dynamics of of that song and um it worked really well and the thing I remember best is when I brought it up to mix it like literally all the have like maybe eight tracks or so you know like drums bass guitar one vocal maybe I don't even uh, maybe a, a backing vocal coming in at very specific times um we're, we're talking literally less than 10 tracks it took no time at all to mix it sounded like a song straight off so that's something I always <laughs> try and achieve now. Um, 
but it's also balanced with trying to kind of create new sounds and get more experimental, which often involves layering more tracks. But, you know, um, we've also, this is getting really music nerdy now, but we've also tried in some of our tracks to emulate how the Beatles used to mix records when they had a four track tape machine, proper, proper minimalism there. But, um, to get more tracks out of their four track tape machine, they would record on um, four of them, then bounce it all of that onto one track of a new tape machine and then fill the next three tracks and then bounce that. Um, you got some interesting um, artifacts from doing that, slightly degrading quality and you couldn't go back and change something after you'd bounce them across, like you've literally done it forever. So, uh, But we've emulated some of that in our mixing, which has been fun. So songs like Lord Owes Me in the Summertime, is a is a great example of that mono lake um it's definitely produced something different and quite like a thick um sound so yeah that's another example um and yeah just generally the the jams of us playing live as two people not trying to recreate exactly what we did in the studio and keeping those two separate um i was watching a documentary on the grateful dead yesterday about them making their albums and how chaotic it was in the studio like they didn't care for records too much because they were making enough money and enjoying themselves doing their live shows. So the studio was just a fun like playground for them. They weren't trying to make this like era-defining album. They were just like, oh, let's see what we can do. And um, I think me and Harry's studio attitude can be a bit like that sometimes. Like, let's record a great song and mess it up a bit and go go a bit crazy with sounds. Um, so yeah, um, I think that's enough for you to get your teeth into for now um minimalism in music can create better music um interesting side effects from having limitations and um kind of a nice clarity i guess um so yeah um i'll put some uh, links in the show notes to some good examples of minimalist music and minimalist composers and that kind of thing and um yeah up next is my guitar tone journey so we are getting a bit uh music nerdy more than mindset now but you know we've got to travel some different topics um if you've listened all the way through thank you so much for listening to my one-man ramble it makes it feel worth it to sit down on a sunday and talk for this long about music um if you've got any thoughts comments minimalist music insight for me um just text uh <laughs> don't text send me some text-based email at james at um Right, adios.